Join us for the Criterion Institute podcast as Joy Anderson, a global thought leader in business and social change, leads us through a series of discussions, interviews, frameworks, rants, and reframes that will help you better understand how to use finance as a tool for transformative systems change. I am Joy Anderson, and this is the Criterion Institute podcast. At Criterion, we truly try to focus on the positive stuff, possibilities, solutions, insights for how things could work better. But sometimes you just need to call out when things just aren't working. So today's episode is three rants. Rants about approaches to impact investing and gender lens investing, which are limiting the positive impact these remarkable fields could have on the world. First up, I'll discuss the role that the big consulting firms have played in building the field of gender lens investing and the lingering effects that's had on who's able to engage, how expertise is valued, and what solutions are emerging. Second, I'll dive into the prevailing idea that somehow our investments can be sector agnostic. Really? Sector agnostic. And this comes from our focus on entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs at the center of investing. So a bit of a rant on the fact that I'm kind of done with us being sector agnostic. And then finally, and I've probably said this in a lot of places before, I am really close to calling it quits on the business case for gender lens investing. Enjoy. This segment falls into the category of a rant. A friend of mine who led a foundation, I'll leave her anonymous from the time because it's not the only email like this that I've ever gotten. But a couple of years ago, she sent me an email Saturday morning, said, I've been looking at all the work on the field of gender lens investing, and I wanted to send out a report to my board about the status. Now, this is, by the way, a feminist leader and a feminist organization that has been deeply involved in social justice issues and a foundation that really has done some remarkable things. And the high-level summary said two things. One is the performance of female portfolio managers. Studies show there's no difference in skill between male and female portfolio managers. Huh. Despite Unequal skills, women are underrepresented as fund managers by a ratio of nine to one. Okay, not shocking, not shocking. Second, background and performance on gender lens investing funds. So this was the second part of her presentation to a board committed to social justice. Research demonstrates that superior performance for companies with more women in positions of leadership, and this forms a solid basis for the viability of gender lens investing. Total amount of capital is, is increasing. That's the good. The bad in the report was that gender lens investing investments don't appear to be beating their benchmarks, but they have short histories, so the results are inconclusive. Gender lens investments have a disadvantage in being able to beat their benchmarks. There just hasn't been enough progress for women coming into corporate leadership. So 
what are we going to do? So I imagined this report being sent to the board of a social justice organization, and uh, I kind of lost it. So the email had actually not just come to me, it came to myself and actually a couple other investment advisors, all working at very large firms, actually, all looking for feedback. And so it came to me on a Saturday morning as I was getting ready for a big week, and my self-care moment was to say, wow, that's a lot to review. Do I really want to dig in? But then I thought, wow, if this leader's out in the world saying this, it might matter. I've spent 10 years of my life, now 20, building this movement. I'm so very tired of the myopic debate that has consumed what few resources this movement has. Does it or does it not matter for investment performance to have women in leadership? Oh, for the love of God. We have never had to prove that having men in leadership is a viable investment opportunity. Most of the products that we build in the field of gender lens investing are super thin on gender analysis. They look at a few factors around women in boards, women in C-suites. It becomes a moratorium on women's leadership, a memorandum and a moratorium on women's leadership in corporations and whether women do better or worse as leaders. Gender lens investing was never intended to be a moratorium on women's leadership. Any expectation that women should do better, because that's what it frames often. You need to prove that women in leadership will do better, not on par, but better, because that's what makes it an opportunity. Never had to prove that an all-white male board outperformed. And to debate over and over again whether or not looking at gender is viable based on the returns of the existing products. So a couple things that I think we just need to shift fundamentally in the conversation. Number one, how do we look at risks and not just upside? How do we name the places where not seeing gender patterns will mean that you don't see critical risks? Not seeing the shifts in women's economic empowerment in the world means that you are going to be exposed to risks that you don't see. How do you see gender in the world? So this is the second thing. How do you see gender in the world? In the world. In the world. Not just inside of the workplace. Gender exists in the world. We could end all sexual harassment in the workplace and not actually make a dent in gender-based violence in the world. Unless investors see gender patterns in the shifts around them and not just in the companies, we will never see gender as affecting all companies. We'll never really be able to get to a true gender analysis because we continue to look at the presence and absence of women in a insanely binary and non-intersectional approach. So third, we need to look at the future and have some story beyond the current numbers. Social inequalities are chronic risks, and therefore they're not factored into most investment strategies. This is actually kind of understandable. If it's a chronic risk, then there's no differentiation, right? So if if everybody's sort of in the same soup, there's no way to choose which companies will perform better in that soup because everybody's just in the same soup. Okay, that's ridiculous. We need to keep figuring out what are the differentiating factors 
of who is able to respond in the current soup and who is going to be able to adjust when inequities, when gender norms, when patterns in our world change. But we continue to focus on a very narrow range of experience. And there's one reason for that. And that is the predominant funding in the field of gender lens investing has come from and gone to large consulting firms. The McKinsey's, the Bain's, the people who are studying diversity in the workplace. Huge studies, important studies. Ernst & Young makes a ton of money on a report to look at women in C-suites. EY makes a ton of money on report after report studying women in C-suites. And then we debate whether or not they've made a case for paying attention to gender. I'm done with this. We will never get to the broader issues of social justice if we continue to follow the lead of the big five consulting firms. I can't tell you how many times I'm asked to cite the McKinsey study or cite a Deloitte study or cite an Ernst & Young study, not complex gender dynamics happening that have been studied by ICRW or other organizations like that, but continuing to look at the same reports that are coming out about corporate leadership from a set of elite firms. Over and over, I hear from fund managers and analysts that they want to look beyond, not look past, but look beyond women and leadership as the only gender factor. But we need to resource organizations who have data about broader gender and power dynamics in the world and teach them how to engage in finance. Otherwise, gender lens investing will remain the field that Ernst & Young, McKinsey, and the World Bank built. Sector agnostic investment strategies just don't work, which is a sort of strange thing. Why would we think they would work? Most of investing starts with the sector. Are you working in energy? Are you working in agriculture? What's the sector in which you're investing? And then from that determines what your investment thesis should be and how you should invest. So why would we want sector agnostic investment strategies? The reality is early days of impact investing were largely sector agnostic. They were grounded in the history of impact investing, which came out of the field of social entrepreneurship. And social entrepreneurship focused on the entrepreneur. It focused on the idea that there were these magical, brilliant, creative entrepreneurs who had grand ideas for how to change the world, saw the world differently. And if we invested in those entrepreneurs, we would move forward. For example, Echoing Greens, one of the core leaders in the field of impact investing, core thesis was you invest in the leaders, not the companies. And because those leaders, whether or not that company works out, will go on to be great leaders. And it was really focused on the leadership of the companies. I'll even say early days in Good Capital, the investment fund that I founded with Tim Freundlich and, and Kevin Jones, we were explicitly sector agnostic. We were looking for a certain stage company. We were looking for a certain, that they needed a certain kind of money. 
We eventually focused on fair trade, but at the beginning, we said all sectors. So we invested in book companies, we invested in fair trade companies, because we were looking for a type of company. The focus on the type of company, the stage of company, the focus on the entrepreneur has actually led to a set of challenges as we moved into gender lens investing. Because if the company was about the entrepreneur, then the gender option was to invest in women leaders. A few years back, one of the foundations focusing on social entrepreneurship, I'll leave them unnamed for now because they would have been thought to be smarter than this, <laughs> called us to discuss how to look at gender systemically in their approach. This is a brilliant foundation doing brilliant work. And they said, well, how can we look at gender systemically within our investments? And we said, well, by all means, look at the innovations, look at the sectors in which you're working at, do a gender analysis of the areas in which you're investing, do a gender analysis of the approach to the solutions. And they said, oh, no, no, we just want you to help us find women entrepreneurs. Are you kidding? So their only option that they could imagine was to look at bias around the entrepreneur. Not saying that that's not important, but it is not a complete picture. Another place that this created a challenge, and we've written about this publicly in a paper we wrote with Grand Challenges Canada, another brilliant leader in the early days of impact investing. Grand Challenges Canada's approach was to invest in innovations. They would invest in health innovations in particular and provide philanthropic funding to build out those innovations. And then they developed a follow-on program, which was called Transitions to Scale. And they would look at which of the companies that they had provided the sort of philanthropic support. And, and by companies, I'm using that, let's call them organizations. Sometimes these were academics. Sometimes these were joint ventures. Sometimes these were departments within NGOs that they took many different shapes. They would invest philanthropically in developing the ideas, and then determine that that idea was ready to go to scale. But then they had this critical challenge, which is, are you scaling the innovation or are you scaling the company? Because many of the universities and organizations that had participated in developing the innovation were exactly right to develop the innovation. They had the contextual knowledge, but they weren't the right people to scale the business. And again, this sector agnostic piece said that the investors were looking specifically at the type of company, its leadership, its business model, its readiness to scale. And then the context of that innovation within a sector would become a little bit distanced, right? So the question here is, are we really looking at scaling companies or scaling innovations? And that led us to looking at menstrual health with Grand Challenges Canada. They had been looking at a bunch of different investment opportunities and had actually invested in several companies that were scaling innovations around menstrual health. And so we stepped back from that and said, how do we look at menstrual health as a sector? And then how would we invest in that sector? Not what are the companies that have innovations in menstrual health and how do we scale those companies? the conversation would then change because you were starting by looking at the sector, not looking only at the company and saying, how can finance be used in this sector to scale innovations, to shift the things towards the kinds of opportunities, towards the kinds of approaches that would work? We continue to focus, though, on company picking. 
Despite what we know about good investment approaches that start with the contextual knowledge of the sector, the opportunities, they come up with strong investment theses. Despite that, we remain focused on company picking. Let's find the company that's most ready to scale without necessarily a comprehensive look at the sector in which they're operating. Another example of this in the history of impact investing is accelerators. Many, many accelerators were created focused solely on the company and the leader. And so when I was invited to be a faculty on the accelerator, whether it was Village Capital or multiple accelerators over the years, would show up as faculty and I would be brought in to talk about gender. And so like, talk about gender. They say, okay, well, we'll get the women entrepreneurs together so you can talk to them about gender and the bias they might be experiencing as entrepreneurs. I was like, hmm, challenge. Why am I not talking to all of the entrepreneurs about how gender patterns show up in their market, in their approach to creating social change? Now, at some level, historically, this company-picking sector agnostic approach was grounded in a real limitation, which is there was a shortage of deals. Early investors in impact investment did not feel that they could find enough deals in a single market. They knew that that would probably be better, but any exclusion meant they didn't have enough socially innovative companies that were ready to scale without government or philanthropic support to be able to take the kind of capital they were putting out there. And so perhaps this was a historical moment and a necessary reality to be able to build the field of impact investing. And there have been some fixes. More and more accelerators are now focused on single markets. More accelerators are focused on specific issue areas, whether that's food systems or healthcare. Increasingly, investment firms are able to not just name a geography and find the best companies, but to really craft focused investment theses. And for all of that, the gender analysis becomes stronger, the ability to address power dynamics in context, the ability to assess the impact of these innovations becomes more realistic because you're not just looking at the entrepreneur and the company and its readiness to scale, but you're looking at the context and thinking holistically, how can we use finance to create change in this context? I find myself declaring pretty often that I love all women on all boards because I find myself trapped in a fight where somebody says, well, we need to prove the business case for women on boards. We need to prove the business case for investing in women entrepreneurs. We need to show that there's upside in diversity. And I am so tired of that. And so I find myself saying, while I love all women on all boards, I just also want to say, because maybe I don't, maybe I'm just tired of this constant focus, this myopic focus on proving the upside of diversity. We have never had to prove the upside of all male boards. We've never ventured into that research to ensure 
that we prove that having men on a board increases performance. And yet we are obsessed with proving not just that women are at par, but that they outperform. I got an email from a dear friend a couple months ago who said, can you just look over this research? Because I'm really depressed that we haven't yet shown that women fund managers can outperform. Like, what the heck? Why on earth do we have to outperform the structural inequities that inhibit the ability to achieve success for women and minorities and others who have been systematically excluded? And yet, to be included, we have to prove that we will not just participate in the economy, but that we will outperform. And I get a little bit conspiracy-minded on this one, because there seems to be a disproportionate amount of the funding in the work on gender and racial equity investing that is asking us to prove the business case. And I want to name, we will never prove it, because as soon as we prove it, the bar will just move. Anytime we prove it, we reveal that the challenge is actually not the business case. The challenge is the bias. And if you play into the bias to say, I will prove to you one more time that women are valuable, that minority communities have an equal contribution, that again, black women are driving the regrowth of the, of the economy one more time that we have to name that we're doing a disproportionate amount of successful activity, then we're just sucked back into it again. And so that we keep spending money on proving what is actually a response to bias. So let's face the bias, let's call it bias, and call it quits on proving the business case. To learn more about our work, visit us at criterioninstitute.org. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Your reviews help our podcast reach a wider audience. Thanks for listening.